Hey, my name is Augustine Colebrook. I'm the principal at Midwifery Wisdom Collective. My focus is on big picture political movements that are happening within the profession, some of the controversial questions, and centering voices that are not being regularly heard. I'm Layla Wyatt. I am a traveling student midwife, learning midwifery from cultures and a lineage of midwifery throughout the United States. I'm here to center the voices of students to hear their calling, their pathway, why they chose midwifery, and even share a bunch of birth stories along the way. Greetings, I'm Jamara Amani. I am a midwife, a mom, and a social justice activist. I am here to challenge white supremacy, homophobia, transphobia, and anything that keeps people from being their best and living their best selves as we have the human right to do. And I am looking forward to sharing stories of birth justice on this podcast. Hi there, Delmar Dalton. I am non-binary, queer, transgender, midwife, and full-spectrum female. My focus is on increasing access and equity in midwifery care and midwifery education. Hello, my name is Angie Love. I am a community nurse midwife in Vero Beach, Florida, at the practice of midwife love. I also do telehealth midwifery through Midwife RX. I'm a mama, and I am committed to maintaining birth choices for all people and educating a future generation of midwives because we will not die out. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. I understand that you're at the birth center right now yes. recording. Um, so is is it open today or? So no, Mondays and Fridays are more admin days, but um, I kind of feel like I live here. So oh. I just always, I mean, in a good way, of course, yeah. right? I have a home. I My preceptors are really great about take time for yourself, which I know is rare, which uh, we can chat about. But mm-hmm. um, so... I just was like, I would love to talk with you from the birth. It feels like my second home. I love yeah. it here. So. Yeah. Well, like if any babies are born, will they like walk in through that room that you're in right now? No, <laughs> I am in what we call our clinic building, which is where we do appointments. Births occur in, I call it the birth house, um, which mm-hmm. is a, a house behind me that has been um updated and kind of renovated into two birth suites upstairs and downstairs and then where we have all of our you know birth extras supplies sweet laundry things like that well I just wanted to share with our listeners and um also those viewing on YouTube that like you are at the birth center because I don't know it's extra special and if you can see behind me it's probably not clear but those are all like baby pictures of babies that were born in 2021 that families sent to us so I love it so much, so much. So tell us who you are, where you are, and then your story. Like, how did you find midwifery? Cool. So I am Courtney Glenn, known all over social media as Future Baby Catcher. And (laughs) I am, I live and work and um, am learning in and around Richmond, Virginia. Um, So I for years was a doula. Um, I supported births while I was in college, um, while I was getting my master's degree after college, while working some other full-time roles. I would just be like, hey, I got to go using PTO today. Somebody's in labor. Um, And in 2018, I realized that I I love supporting birthing people and I love supporting the birth experience. But what I was seeing, particularly as a Black woman, made me realize that there needed to be more providers who looked like me and provided support and options for out-of-hospital birth. Um, And so I was like, I'm going to be a something. And I initially started a post-bac program to become an OB, um, but I think I got to like maybe inorganic chemistry or something like, and I was like, it's a strong no. Um, so, it's so um, hard though because we really need like those uh, we were just talking about this on like a, on a react video that we were doing like we hope that someday either like an already trained and practicing OB decides to become a community midwife or a community yes. midwife like 
decides to go back to school and become an OBGYN because we don't have anyone that's like cross. Yes. We know? need that, but it will not be me. <laughs> well, I know it won't be me either. It won't be <laughs> yes. me either. Sorry. <laughs> I am very comfortable recognizing my strengths and passing the baton to people who do other things well. So mm-hmm. um, I realized that that was not in the cards for me. And I said, okay, so I'll be a midwife. So I applied to a nursing program. Um, and then I had a doula client who was having um, an intended home birth with the midwives who are currently my preceptors. And that is when I fell in love with home birth and I was like, the way for me is the CPM. Mm. So So you um, were, what, what brought you into being a doula? Like, how did you find the birth path altogether? (laughs) This is uh, actually a funny story. When I was a sophomore in college, my sorority sister was having a baby and her family lived like three hours away and she had a really quick labor and she just sent like a group text like I'm in labor can anybody come and I didn't have class so I met her at the hospital went in and I just I guess it came naturally to me to be supportive of this woman in labor and the nurse was like are you a doula and I was like oh what what is that oh my gosh So I then, when I left that birth, I had my first birth high and I was like, this is amazing. Oh my gosh. Ooh, um, just got and then I started, yes, I started doing my Googles, um, found a doula training, the first doula training um, that I attended and have just kept it going from there. Started training, reading, learning more, supporting mm-hmm. other people, family members. And then people would just be like, you know, she's a doula or she's, a, and it just picked up from there. While you were working? Yes. Full time. While I was in school. And then, yes, when I graduated and started working, I still continued to um, take doula clients. I think for me, there's just when there's a need, if I can meet it, I will. And it just worked out. So you have a bachelor's and a master's? I do. I have a bachelor's in political science and a master's um, in liberal arts, which was, um, I was able to combine my interest in public policy and business management, um, and kind of create my own degree. Oh Um, shit. You're going to do big things. (laughs) I hope so. I really hope so. I say that just because I think that there are so many people who have like this passion to make change happen, but they don't have the like groundwork of understanding how to make change, you know? And like, we're like, oh, let's change the laws and the licensure around blank. And it's like, wait, how does legislation even work? (laughs) You know, like what is public health and how do we, and so um, like you're what I call like a triple threat. Like you're a triple threat. I would argue, yeah, that I feel like that is one of uh, the major strengths that I bring to the birth communities that I am part of. I understand legislation. Mm -hmm. Birth is my first love. Policy is my second. Um, In recent years, I have been a part of hanging out at our General Assembly, talking with legislators about what do these bills really mean? Why is this important to our communities? Can we tweak the language here? Here are some models in other states. Um, So... I enjoy doing it all. Um, I will say recently, uh, over the past year, I've kind of taken a step back from being so involved in legislative processes to focus on um, apprenticing and building my skills um, as a midwife. But it's definitely something that's always on my radar and I plan to return to once I'm licensed. Yeah. I was just going to say, I, yeah, I was hoping to hear that that's part of your future. Mm-hmm. Um uh, just as a side note, some a, 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 a team that might really be able to use your expertise either now or in the future is NYCPM. Are you familiar with NYCPM? No. They are a non-for-profit that is focused right now on trying to get uh, CPMs legalized in New York, in, in New the York. state of New York. And so like it's on, it's on the, it's going to be on the floor this year. Like there's a bill we introduced a new bill for community midwives and it's got co-sponsors and sponsors That's and great. all this legislative action, but like, you know, we all need more education yeah. on, on how to move things forward. So just as a side note, if it doesn't get passed this year, like they might we'll need your help. Yeah. 
<laughs> I, I did see that. I think I've seen on Facebook the conversation about um, CPMs in New York. So I'd seen it, but not really kind of done yeah. a deep dive into what the legislation looks like, who's really involved. But um, now I know what I'll be doing this weekend. Yeah. Well, and like you said, you're focusing on your apprenticeship. So, um, okay. Sorry. I just needed to like share that that backstory, but so you came to doula work after this, just like calling, which most of us get is that the call. Right. And, um, and then you served a lot. I'm, I'm assuming like you served a lot of in hospital births as a doula before falling into that home birth with the preceptors you're currently with and then seeing that this other opportunity was available? Yes, that was my first out of hospital birth. Oh, um, wow. Okay. When I met those clients, she's like, I want a home birth. And I was like, okay. And in my mind, I was like, it can't be that different than what I'm used to. Little did I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it is uh, very different, but that experience really, really opened my eyes to the benefits and beauty of being able to birth out of the hospital setting. And I was completely sold. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, it's still like, uh, I just, I remember that, that experience and just seeing the midwives um, and, and recognizing how much care they provided because they knew this client because they'd been with her her entire pregnancy and knew her wants and had been to their home the dog was familiar with them and it it was I was just like this is how it's supposed to be so from that moment I think I started saying I want to be a midwife I want to be a midwife and um the midwives at that birth that summer uh posted that they were interested in supporting new students particularly students of color um because we do not have any um, licensed in particular black midwives in the Richmond area that support out of hospital birth mm. um, currently. So there are a number of students working towards the goal right now, but there is not um, a licensed black CPM in the area. And my preceptors are like, we want to do something about this. Um, so another reason that working with them just felt like a natural progression to my desire to pursue the CPM. So you decide you want to be a CPM. Um, For those of our listeners who don't know what that means, the certified professional midwife rather than an OBGYN or a CNM. Um, And for our listeners, when you decide you want to be a CPM, there's usually two routes. Which route did you take? So there are typically two routes. Um, Lots of people attend a midwifery college and get formal didactic training um, and have a plan and a timeline um, with which they will or through which they'll learn and then um, apprentice in the birth setting. But there is another option, um, the portfolio evaluation process, which is governed and overseen by NARM, the North American Registry of Midwives. Um, and I'm just telling you all that because if you have any interest, I want you to know exactly what to Google to find it. Um, and I chose the latter route, which I think is daunting. And a lot of people are like, you're insane. But And I might be, but here I am. <laughs> yeah, so you might hear it as like the PEP process, which... Yeah is kind of like someone saying the ATM machine. Um, it's the performance evaluation process. So we wouldn't say a performance evaluation process process, but it's the PEP. And um, and so, yeah, Courtney's right. Like it's a, uh, it's, it's a lot of self-driven, self-dedicated work um, versus the meek process where you go to almost like a brick and mortar, of course it's online, most of them, but a brick and mortar school. And they tell you like, take this class on this term and take this class on this term. And in this time you'll have this. So you chose the PEP. What year was this? This was 2019. Yep. In the summer of 2019. So you've been in school. Well, you've been in the process for about three years now. Not really. So um, as I said, so my current preceptors who I went to that home birth with them in the early spring of 2019. And that summer, they had people apply to be their students. I applied, we chatted, it felt like a good fit. And that fall, 
I was to start um, as an apprentice here um, in this practice. And as I talked about before, um, a lot of my experience was in hospital birth and in hospital birth, everybody has their role. Everybody does what they are supposed to do. They have their assignment, they do it. And then they typically leave the room and somebody else comes in. Um, and so I had enough, technically the first phase of the PEP is observes. So of course, as a doula, I'd had enough observes, but my preceptors were like, we want you to spend some time observing out of hospital birth. So I did that for three months. Um, I was with them in appointments um, in prenatals and home visits at births. And three months later, my preceptors were like, you need to give this a little more time. We don't hmm. think you have enough observes, but we think you need to really consider if you want to make this your lifestyle, if you um, want to pursue another route and um, let us know. So that why was- Why do you the think that they said that? Like, why do you, can you, can you like- pinpoint an event or a experience or a conversation that drew them to that conclusion? I think I, I was very inexperienced with out-of-hospital birth. So I was very unfamiliar with the fact that you are supporting the birthing person clinically, but also the neonate. You are mm -hmm. doing the laundry. You are checking, you know, you are monitoring EBL. You are all of the things. And from my perspective, I really needed a little more time to just get comfortable and recognize that this is not one role, it is many. And the CPM mm. functions as a lot of things that in, in hospitals, multiple people are doing. And it's was like that something I wanted to commit to? Yeah. 12 plates at the yes. same time. Yeah. Yes. Um, a lot of the clinical skills I did not have, like I said, I came from, you know, politics and, and marketing had been my professional background. So there were lots of things that I needed to learn. Um, and honestly, at the time, it did not feel good for them to say like, go get clear about what you really want to do and get back to us. But now I'm so grateful for that. I really, if, if in early 2020, someone had told me like, you're gonna be really grateful that they shared that with you. I would not have believed them, but now I think it, go ahead. I was just going to say, and this is why you're a triple threat, Courtney, because like <laughs> you, this is why, because <laughs> you have an educational background in public health and political movements and that, that, that baseline education, you have a heart and a ego less than like in, in a reduced ego and humility enough to be like that hurt <laughs> but mm -hmm. I'm gonna like sit with it I'm gonna take what they're saying rather than being like excuse me you know what I mean like whatever you know and from what I gather you're becoming a skilled provider here too that's so. what they're telling me I don't know if I believe it every day of the week but they tell me yes <laughs> yeah Yes. They tell me I will be a great midwife one day. Yep. And I'm like, are you sure about that? Cause I'm not always certain, but it's what I want to do. So I'm committed. Yeah. So they told you to kind of like sit on it, think about it. They did go to spend a little time with some other midwives. Think about the other pathways. Does nursing school make more sense? Um, I am someone who has a lot of student debt. I am not ashamed to say that. Do you really want to be a CPM? Um, you know, what does that look like for the lifestyle that you want? Do you plan to have a family? How will this fit in? All of those things were things that they asked me to consider before returning to the practice. Um, and I would say maybe it was, I think 14 months later, because I returned to the practice in June of 2021. So we had actually, it was maybe a little longer than that, almost 18 months. This conversation with them to sit on it was at the end of January, 2020. Then the pandemic happened um, and they got busy, busier than they already were. Yeah. So it was like, you can come back, but let us get a handle. We're shifting to out of hospital birth. And then I would say early 2021, I had another conversation with them about feeling ready to come back, wanting to um, return to training with them. And so last June, June, 2021, I returned um, and have 
been back. So now it's been eight months that I've been back. So are there any other midwives in your area that you connect with, or do you just feel like that team because of their uh, effort to make sure that they're training black midwives and also like their transparency with you? Um, is the reason why you were like, yeah, I'll come back to you. Not like, thanks for the break. I found somebody better, you know, like, what are your thoughts there? Oddly enough, during that break, I did not consider any other potential preceptors. There are other midwives in the area. Um, There are home birth practices, a couple of other birth centers. Um, But because of their commitment to saying we want to train BIPOC midwives and their willingness to just be candid with me always and be like, look, like pull it together or this needs to change or here's where we are. I didn't want to um, be in a situation where I felt like that would not be available to me. So I just was, I, as much as they were committed to me, I've, I have been committed to training with them. Um, mm-hmm. Now we have had discussions about, so I'm currently in phase two. Um, I have completed all the, so as part of the PEP, Um, you have a certain number of births to do in each phase. So technically I have completed all the numbers. I am currently working on skills and my personal confidence as um, a primary under supervision student um, before I move into phase three. So you've done all of like your, I think it's like 23 births and pre some prenatals and postpartums. And now it's like skills checkoffs for like suturing and things like that. So that that way, when you're managing a whole birth experience in phase three, um, you can count that manage. Cause I don't know if it's the same with PEP as it is with Meek, but correct me if I'm wrong it, with Meek, at least, um, if the midwife has to like step in or do anything in that manage, you don't get it. Right. Like, so you're coming into this phase where if you have to go help me, Mm -hmm. it it doesn't count as your birth. Not saying that that wasn't an experience. I mean, is that a good experience, a learning experience? Absolutely. But doesn't count. So I think one of the things that I want to um, say here, I feel like I am very different than a lot of other students and apprentices in the sense that I recognize every birth as a learning opportunity. Not that other people don't, but I think because people want to finish, because we are unpaid during this time, because people want to be able to be staff midwives or have their own practices and begin to make money doing the work that they love, people are really obsessed about the numbers and like everything needs to count. There may be a time for me when in phase three, I need to say, hey, I'm tagging in one of my preceptors and I know that that birth won't count, but I've already made myself okay with that because I recognize that it will be a learning experience and there will be another birth. Um, I think for people who maybe feel like they are on more of a time crunch or feel like they have to complete or check things off within a certain amount of time, um, that can feel a little more sticky. Um, But for me, knowing that I want to best support clients, um, make sure that everyone is safe and feel confident in my own skills, I'm really like, I do not obsess about the numbers. Maybe I feel like my preceptors want me to a little more than I do, Um, (laughs) but the births will come. Well, and it makes me think too, like, um, it's almost dangerous to have this sense of, uh, I have to make this count or it's a waste of my time. If this birth doesn't count type thing, because you could then not tag in your preceptor in something that you are not confident in and not doing a good job in and mess up and injure someone because you wanted a number that's more than sticky. It's dangerous. (laughs) It is dangerous. You're right. I think what I will say is, and we probably should have an entirely different conversation about good preceptors. Um, but I know it's coming. Like, okay. Okay. I'm like, you want to trust that your preceptors are alert and also paying attention and are so supportive of you that they are not going to let you create a dangerous situation for clients and babies. Um, so you might not be happy that you get tagged out, but it might be a situation where you need to be tagged out. Mm-hmm. And I think some of that is in 
um, the humility of midwifery. My trial by fire, my my preceptors always laugh about um, is, you know, during second stage, somebody has to wipe the poop. And, and you don't want to do it. And I did that for a, I was a poop wiper for a very long day, very, a lot of births. Um, and you don't always want to do it, especially when, you know, it's, it's poopy, um, but there is a level or a sense of humility to which, or, or that I think we should all approach midwifery with that it's okay to be tagged out, right? In the same way that it's okay to be responsible for keeping the birth space clean in that way, it's okay if sometimes yeah. you need to ask for help or recognize that you may not be as skilled as you think you are and take a step back and learn. Um, and I think that humility is such a, a, a major part of being a midwife. And I don't know mm -hmm. that people always articulate it in that way, but it takes a lot to, you know, hear your phone at 2.17 a.m. and get out of bed in the dark when it's 16 degrees. It was so cold here, y'all, last week. <laughs> You're like, my bed was, is so warm. Yes, I was like, baby, would you please just wait till the sun comes up? But, um, you know, it takes a lot for people who have to leave their families and trust that their partner or another family member is going to keep their children safe and well until they return. Like, there is so much of that is that requires humility and sacrifice in this work that if you are not committed to it in that way, like, honestly, I just would tell you, like, do something, you can do something else in birth work, but this is not it if you are not committed in that way. Yeah, like to be a complete servant, to be yes. completely humble beneath, mm -hmm. you know, aligned and servant heart. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned like good preceptors and that's kind of why I asked you that question of like, did you go and try to precept with anyone else prior? Have you only been with this team? And I mean, it sounds like you've got a great relationship. Have you had any rocky moments with preceptors so far? For sure. So what I will say is that I primarily work with this practice and these two midwives, but um, there are a number of other midwives who have been supportive of me. I spend time with their teams and their students doing skills drills. And mm -hmm. um, so I really feel like I am have and am continuing to build a really solid community um, that is just supportive of me um, achieving licensure. But um, yes, there are, I think one of the things that when I had that initial conversation with my preceptors, when I said I wanted to be a midwife, they told me, they were like, the student preceptor relationship is really rough. And I was like, what, why? Like, you're teaching me, I'm learning, it's great. And they were like, no, no, no. Um, you know, you could be sleep deprived. We are sometimes in high stakes situations. Um, you cannot always communicate in the most gentle, calming tones with one another. Um, I think that the student preceptor relationship is something very special, um, but you should be intentional about who you choose to have that relationship with. I feel like a unicorn in the sense that I have found midwives with a birth center two miles from my house and they are wonderful people and they are committed to me as they recognize my commitment to this work. It is not that easy for everyone. I would say it's not that easy for most people. Um, so I do feel like a unicorn and very privileged in that sense, but it's not always easy. There are tense conversations when, you know, we've had a birth, the clients have been discharged, we are cleaning up and, I'm remaking a bed and my preceptor will come in the room and say, hey, like, let's talk about what happened during, you know, at this particular moment in the birth, what were you thinking then? Or why did this happen? Or you evaluated the situation and knew XYZ was coming. So why was this particular instrument or whatever, not ready? Like mm -hmm. those are hard conversations sometimes. And sometimes you just don't want to be critiqued after y'all have been up for 27 hours and you still have things to do to get things prepared for the next clients or you have a day of prenatals all day. Like sometimes you just don't want to hear it in the moment. But I think, you know, learning how to communicate, we have been very intentional about all learning each other's communication styles, recognizing feedback as a gift. 
Um, that was something a, a job or two ago before my apprenticeship. Feedback is a gift is something that was always said. And I just taken it with me because it is, it's making me a better midwife. I don't always like it, but I'm yeah. learning. Yeah. And so did you guys like sit down and have a conversation about how your learning styles or have like an agreement that you signed about how you were going to communicate post births, things like that? Or did it just kind of flow and you had to just let them know that it worked or didn't work and adapt it as it came? There is a student agreement um, that is signed uh, or that I signed, um, but it was the agreement was more about like, how many days will you be in clinic? Here's our expectations of you. We want you at a birth at this time before the client arrives, here are your responsibilities, those kinds of things. Um, I think the conversations about communication styles and just learning each other's personalities has come not only over time, but because my preceptors have had students before, so they knew what to anticipate in ways that I did not. Um, and I think I, I told them a couple of weeks ago, you know, there are some things that um, some skills that I have had to repeat a number mm -hmm. of times. And I think sometimes my preceptors are like, why is this not clicking? What, what is going on here? Right. But I know that for me, I consider myself a deep learner learner. So it may take me a bit longer to acquire the skill or for it to become natural and not something that I have to think through step by step. But once I have it, I'm operating from a place of flow and really muscle memory. So I know that about me, but telling them like, hey, I know it's taking me a little longer than anticipated, but once I get it, I got it. And I think we've started to see that in recent months that as I am putting all of the pieces of being a CPM together, as I am starting to be comfortable thinking about what's happening with the birthing person, what am I hearing in heart tones? What can I anticipate? You know, though, putting it yeah. all together, it's starting to feel natural to me. And they are also starting to see that like, okay, she's getting it. Maybe not in the way that we thought, but it's coming mm -hmm. together. But you're not their first student. No. So, I mean, they've had this experience before, maybe not in this way, but most preceptors who have had several students, um, sometimes preceptors are really burned by students and have had really bad experiences where they were taken advantage of. And then they're like reactive too, because they want to protect themselves from that experience. Um, or they thought like, like that's how, how students learn, you know, this is how we're going to teach our priests, our students. And it's not the case for everybody. And that's hard. Yeah, I think I, I am not the first student, um, which I'm grateful for. I think they have had a lot of meek students, which makes it a little different in the sense that um, people arrive or students arrive maybe with a little more structured knowledge um, than I have had, but um, we work through it. And I think we all have a very um, open relationship in which they are not they don't feel like they cannot share their feedback with me. And oddly enough, they have asked me to share more feedback with them about their role as my preceptors, which I, um, talking to other students, I think is sometimes rare to hear that yeah. preceptors want to hear like, what is not working or what can we do better? How can we better support you? So that's cool. Yeah, I really like that. That's awesome. So how... I mean, again, I know we're not like super, I love that you're not super focusing on like timelines and numbers and things like that, but, um, you're done, you're just working on your skills for phase two, and then you'll be moving into phase three, which sometimes for some people is like the longest phase. Are you working full-time as well? Or, uh, how are you like, how is all, how is finances while in midwifery school? <laughs> So another aspect of me being a unicorn is that I do have a full-time job. Um, so <laughs> there, are, uh, there are other birth assistants in the practice which afford me the opportunity to um, work most of the overnight births and mm. um, attend prenatals when I can based on my schedule. My uh, full-time role is fully remote um, and quite flexible in the sense that um, I have meetings, I have, I don't have to, it's not like a 
customer facing or anything like that. So I'm able to do my job, complete my work, but also um, focus on learning and being present in the birth space when I'm available. Um, so it, it it's working out quite well. Well, and one thing that you mentioned earlier was that they encouraged you to look at like your, your, your preference in lifestyle and, you know, things like that. So, um, you know, you're financially being supported yourself with a job while you're in school. Um, and I think that finances is something that comes up a lot for midwives because, like you said, it's such like a servant heart. It's, it's a humble experience and, asking for money for a a relationship like midwife and birther is something that a lot of midwives don't do well. Um, so I'm just wondering, like, when do you plan on, when do you plan on maybe leaving this full-time job and start when you're like maybe doing both or what are your thoughts? So I am a contract employee and when this contract ends, I will um, transition to full-time midwifery. So it's, it's closer than it's closer than I think um, even I have started to realize um, that. Yeah, it's closer than, than I realized. But um, once this contract ends, I will be moving into the role of um, if I still have phase three births to complete, um, I'll do that, which is probably what's most likely is that when I, I will really focus on phase three and then um, sit for the exam uh, with the goal of being licensed and then be a midwife in this community. I was just going to say, are you planning on staying in the Richmond area and being the only black midwife in Richmond? So I am not at all planning to be the only black midwife in Richmond. There are a number of other okay. students okay. who are working towards um, licensure as well. Good. And we all know each other. We all, you know, oh, the, every, the birth community in Richmond is really strong and robust. So everybody is just at a different phase and pace. Um, right. But I, I never think being the only anything is good. No, um, I don't mean like want to be the only. I meant okay. like, I didn't know if there were any other <laughs> yes. Black students in your area and you would have ended yes. up being the only Black midwife. Yeah, no, no. We want a lot of midwives yeah. and a lot <laughs> of different diverse midwives. But I mean, like, as far as timeline goes, it, you may be the only one at some point, you know, for a while. And that's, that's sad. It is. Um, it, it is. And I, I do. Um, so part of my um, journey into midwifery was really learning the history and recognizing that um, midwifery in the black community was something that was essentially stolen from us um, at the turn of, well, I guess now the turn of the century into the 20th century. Um, And that, you know, right in that post-war era was when we really started to see the decline in the number of black midwives. And I do think there is a concerted effort for us to return to the work um, and continue um, the legacy of Black midwives who have come before us, but it's it can be challenging. Like we've been talking about, like if you're unable to work while you're a student or if you already have a family and have come to this work later in life or have other circumstances that make it challenging, it's really, really hard um, to, to become a midwife, unfortunately. And I really, really hope that in my lifetime, we see that change. We see people become creative about the ways that, you know, the paths to midwifery or the, the programs that can be created to make it possible for people to um, return to this work or start out on the path of birth work in a, in a way that has been different for people like you and I who are students in this era. So I'm hopeful, but also I recognize the current challenges and yeah. um, I want to do everything I can to make it possible for, for more people to come yeah. I mean, I've talked to a lot of students who this isn't their first choice in education, right? Like you, like you have a master's, you have a bachelor's and you did these other things with the assistance of financial aid and loans, right? And there's not much support for midwifery education with financial aid and loans. Like there's nothing for PEP. You can't apply FAFSA to PEP, right? So yeah, so like anyone in with a lower income or socioeconomic status does not look at midwifery as an easy, accessible education journey. 
right? Like it in act, you would be more accessible to go to your local community college and get a bachelor's in something that may or may not ever give you a very good um, employment background, right? right? And so it's not accessible today. Um, But maybe you'll help with that with your history. I hope so. That's a goal for sure. Yeah, for sure. So Virginia has some funky laws for midwifery, right? Like it's yeah. soup. I visited Virginia for a little while interviewing a few midwives. And one thing that I found, which was just like really interesting is it's almost like they licensed traditional midwifery, right? Like there is a, a pathway to licensure. You are a legal practicing midwife. And you have a really grand scope of practice, right? Like 36 to 45 weeks, 44 weeks or something, or even more than that, you know, twins, breaches, um, variations of normal in blood pressures and diabetes and like all of these things that in a lot of other states is not available for midwives to serve and support. But you have no access to Pitocin, misoprostol, methrogen, IV fluids, oxygen, erythromycin, vitamin K, like zero meds. So it's like this, which again, if we go backwards in time, traditional midwives didn't either, right? Traditional right. midwives treated birth as this normal, natural physiological experience and would treat with herbs or care or tincture of time, right? Or, you know, things like that. And then if it was out of that normal, they either passed away or they went to a hospital, right? Like that was 500 years ago, traditional medicine um, or traditional midwifery. But when you have a licensure that says, sure, you can do VBAC after four C-section twins that has a history of hemorrhage. And, but we're not going to give you any ability to use meds on that person. Right. I feel like you're making your bed and you got to sleep in it with whatever outcome occurs. So how, what is knowing that, like, what are some things that you've started to develop as far as like practice guidelines or like plans for yourself that you just feel help you feel like you can be the best midwife safely in Virginia? So I am learning in a practice that has its own protocols. Um, and I think, um, we have really good relationships with a number of hospitals in the area. So they are very welcoming of clients who, um, for whatever reason, whether it's risk-based or just with their own personal comfort level, choose to then transfer out of, out of hospital midwifery care, um, which is really nice. Um, to have those relationships and be respected in the community. But like you said, um, the way that Virginia has structured or licensed midwives um, has made it challenging in the sense that you do have this great sense of autonomy and lots of like a breadth of scope that, you know, you, there are lots of things that we can see and encounter in out-of-hospital midwifery, but we're also limited with the knowledge that a lot of the things that are legal to support um, are, you're almost like bound by the fact that, you know, meds and and other um, aspects of care for these more complex um, cases relatively, um, it, it, it makes it challenging. So a lot of people will end up saying, well, I want this out of hospital birth, but if I can't have these things, then I have to go to the mm. hospital or, you know, you have midwives who are like, yeah, you know, you may want it. it it's, it's legal for you to be back after three cesareans, but is that the best option for you? based on what we can or cannot do. Um, And throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia, you will see that there are lots of midwives who have varying opinions and do different things. And I'm grateful to have built relationships so that while I spend the most of my time here in this practice, I get to hang out with those midwives too. You know, when they have births that are, you know, maybe a little more 
um, or a different case than what I see on a regular basis, they'll say, I have this going on. Would you like to come? Or like, I'm doing twins. You know, are you available? I'll call you when it's time. Or like, I am always like, let me see your breaches. Um, yes. You know, so those kind. there are enough midwives here that I think clients can be supported by someone to have the birth that they want, but also um, you, your practice gets to determine its own level of caution or conservatism in the kind of practice that you know you choose yeah. to develop so for me well, I think I was gonna I say have, yeah how are you how are you what do you think you're gonna develop you know like you're seeing the breaches you are going am, and attending those yeah. but I don't know yet because you're right like I I do have the opportunity to see these births and gain the this experience but I I don't know if I've decided if I want to be a all in every birth, every, you know, all mm -hmm. variations of normal, um, mm -hmm. I will accept in my practice. And, you know, I, I don't know yet. Um, mm -hmm. I haven't decided. It's something I think about, but I think, you know, becoming more comfortable in the birth space. By the time I get to those last couple of births in phase three, I think I, ha I will have more of an idea. But for now, I'm not I'm not settled in any particular like absolutes yet. Yeah. And I think that even once you graduate and you're just starting your practice, like I, I know a lot of graduated midwives who still call their senior when something funky goes down, you know, like, Hey, this tear, I don't feel really mm -hmm. good suturing it. Can For you come sure. over? <laughs> right. For so sure. like, let's, let's say that someone in your community connects with you, baby's breach, ECB, it didn't work or isn't possible. They're very, they understand the risks and the benefits of a breach home birth with you. And you're like, but I'm going to also call in blank because another midwife. I'm not confident. I, or I want a second midwife at all breaches or whatever, you know, I think what's cool about Virginia though, is it, you know, like you said, you at least can have that choice to have an autonomy, to have autonomy in your decision-making. Um, and you have the ability to see that skill, you know, in some States where it's like just point blank illegal, those students will never even witness it. They'll go their entire training and never see a breach or twins. Which feels more dangerous to me, right? Yes, like we know exactly. that there, there are just those, some cases where like, that baby turns in labor somehow and like to never have seen a breech birth but now be the mm -hmm. primary midwife and the provide like that to me feels more dangerous than allowing people the scope to determine what they are comfortable with as a provider and then letting the clients make decisions from there right yes 100% agree and so you have that ability you definitely have that um for sure. So you plan to stay in your area. Do you have, um, are you thinking of joining a practice or starting your own like private home birth practice? I, I mean, I, I tell my preceptors all the time that, uh, for as long as they are willing to have me, yeah. I will be here. Um, I don't know the practice. I, I'm, I'm also lucky in the sense that this practice is pretty busy, like between 70 and 80 births a year. Mm -hmm. um, so I think my preceptors um, from the conversations that we've had are comfortable with saying like, you know, if you want to practice here and hang out until you feel like maybe you want to do something else, or maybe, you know, I did, I, uh, I realize I just want to be a staff midwife and maybe, you know, work nights and weekends while they're with their families or whatever. I don't know yet, but I do think that um, I I will be around here for for a while. <laughs> cool. So, do you have a either like a birth story for us that just really sits in your heart and in your mind as something that uh, changed you, or uh, or do you have a moment where you had to use some a special skill um, that really kind of shifted your pathway or just stands out in your heart? Do you want to share? Um, I just, I, I do, I, I feel like every, I could tell every birth has a story because <laughs> they're all, I just, I'm so endeared to every client and, and every experience. Um, because the reality is, I think a lot of people forget that like clients don't have to allow students to participate mm -hmm. in their birth. So every time someone allows me to use such a life 
changing and, you know, pivotal moment in their life as a learning opportunity for me. I'm so, so grateful. Um, so this is a public thank you to all of those clients. But um, I think this story is not so much out of hospital, but um, remember I told you like in 2018, I realized I wanted to be a midwife um, mm -hmm. or I, I wanted to um, be a provider. Um, I was at a hospital birth um, in a hospital in the area that does not really have, we have a number of hospitals that have like, that's where people have their babies. Right. This hospital was not one of them, but um, there's a lovely, lovely OB who is quite hands-off and really supportive of the choices of birthing people. And um, this client went, as I was the doula, and this client went from three centimeters at 8.42 p.m. to her baby was born at 9.16 um and so it was a very precipitous birth um and the doctor was like you want to do this get in here so um the the OB was of course um managing the birth but she let me be right next to her and rupture did not occur of course until baby was being born but I mean I was literally like baptized I was just gonna say <laughs> Explosion. And I knew it. now thinking about it, I know that the doctor was like, this is going to be her make or break, right? Like, this is it. Um, but I didn't, I, I mean, I just been the duel, so I knew that it would happen, but I just in the moment was so like excited and in there, I was not thinking about it. And I mean, the wave of fluid that hit me. And I remember being disgusted for only like a millisecond and right. then being like, I want to do this. I want to do this. It's the millisecond forever. where the amniotic fluid is in your mouth. Yeah. That yes. is the That's moment. Yeah. That like, is it. Okay. Oh yes. my God. Then you have to like regroup, bring it back together. But I knew when that happened, I was like, I, mm. this is the most amazing thing ever. So um, <laughs> if you ever, that between that and the first birth I ever attended, that it was just a knowing for me. And it's, kind of my favorite story to tell because people who are not into birth are so disgusted but people like you you, you just get it like it, totally it was wonderful yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely it, yeah that is it it it, it is a it is a interesting and special moment for sure and then it's gonna we're all like kind of laughing mom you know birthing person has their baby on their chest and we're just laughing at all the situation and it's like this super high oxytocin filled room because everyone's just smiling and laughing. Um, and I'm not saying that those other birth moments that are just very like sensual and, and deep and dark aren't amazing either, but there is some, like when the funny happens in yes. birth, when the humor happens in birth, the joy of amniotic fluid covered Courtney. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think for me, it is those moments where we where, like you said, where there's a funny moment or we are all being human together in that yeah. moment. Like I think about the times where we've had second stages where the birthing person is talking to us between contractions and like we're having conversations about random things that are like unrelated to the fact that we're welcoming a new person, but it's just like we're peopling together in that moment. And it's so, so special and wonderful. And I think it's just part of the, like the magic of birth. Oh, it's just wonderful. I love it. Yeah, no, you're so right. You're so right. And those, those are weird moments where she's like, I want mac and cheese. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. And, and then, you, and then, but, but like you said, that relationship that you built to be able to feel safe having a conversation with someone is different than being like, oh, like, you know, untouched birth, unobserved birth. I need to shut my mouth, be quiet and sit in the corner because this is a sensual experience for her is, is real in some births, but in other births, they're like, I just want to laugh. And I want birth to be fun and joyful and full of laughter. And those are so interesting and they do make, make a big difference. Um, what advice would you give students, whether they're joining, starting in your space and in your, your phase that you're in now, what would you tell past you? I would tell past me and any current student or aspiring midwife to not feel like this has to happen in one particular way. Um, there are many paths to midwifery and it does not make you 
any less of a midwife if you choose an option that works for your lifestyle and the responsibilities that you have. Um, I think a lot of people really want to pursue the CPM. And I think that is great and wonderful and amazing. But I just feel like I am repeatedly encountering other students who feel like they have to sacrifice or forego some other aspect of their life um, for this one particular pathway or this one mm -hmm. particular thing. I also want to say to people, I will be 33 next month. Um, the babies are coming always, right? Midwifery will be there. So as much as you want it, if you have other responsibilities or other circumstances or things like that, babies are never going to stop being born and there will always be a place for you in midwifery. So um, as much as we say go fast, I feel like I am a proponent of like, if you need to take your time, it's okay. And I know that's not something that people hear a lot, but I think it's so important um, to be a whole person and not feel like you have laid your entire life down in service to others and you don't get to experience the joys and benefits of a full, amazing, wonderful life of your own um, just to say that you are a midwife. Mm. She's speaking so much truth, you guys. Like literally as she's saying this, I'm like, okay, I won't add the other class to next term. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I, I don't have to take all of the classes so that I skip a whole term. Like as she's saying this, you guys, you know that there's something in your life that you have taken away so that you could finish something faster. Now, and again, I think that that comes from place of privilege between you and I, Courtney, right? Like mm -hmm. it comes from place of privilege because I have right. a husband that's working full-time so I can go to school. You have a clinic that's giving you the ability to work two right. clinic days a week and, you know, go and have your other job and other people don't have that ability. So like just putting that flag up there, right. but yeah. if you're listening to this and you have the ability and you're doing the extra class or canceling the family thing in order to just do it because of time right rethink it yes and I'm so I, glad thank you for that reminder like I do I do recognize that not only in my my entire life but especially in this journey to midwifery I am very privileged um, whether it be proximity to preceptors or my educational background, which makes just certain things easier for me or having a steady income while I'm able to do this. All of those things mm -hmm. are points of privilege. And I don't want to talk about it like it's not. Um, it's mm -hmm. my life. So it's my experience. But I respect that this is not the experience of everyone. Mm -hmm. And everybody does not have the same privilege. So I don't want people to feel like I am saying slow down or not to be intentional just because I can, you know, do it at this pace and have this wonderful experience on my own. I certainly recognize the challenges um, that lots of other students face, but um, I just, I worry about we, particularly us newer students, um, we've seen so many midwives who come before us who have had to leave midwifery or lose the their burnout you know, or, is real right yeah, burnout the, is high you know the the people always talk joke about the divorce rate which I'm just like you know if those things are important to you let them be important to you as well and there's space and place for all of us in this and we'll find our way together you give me chills all day today. Maybe I'm sick. I don't know. <laughs> How can people find you, Courtney, on Instagram, Venmo? How can they donate to your journey, Cash App, PayPal? Um, how can we follow along? Um, so I am on Facebook and Instagram as Future Baby Catcher. You search it, you find me. Um, I am through Cash App, Future Baby Catcher. Um, on Venmo, I am Courtney hyphen Glenn, two N's hyphen one. Um, but I am also um, creating or working to produce a documentary about my pathway to midwifery. Um, and I think, 
you know, I've, I've, talked, I've talked about it before. So some people are familiar with it. It's entitled Reclaim the Work um, and it's coming. But I think people are like, why isn't, why, why isn't it out yet? Because I literally want to demonstrate to people the timeline. Like, the whole journey. It's not, yeah. Yeah. It's not an overnight thing. So um, if you are interested in supporting that project, there is a GoFundMe um, that I can share. Um, but yes. Please we absolutely send like, us that link. You, we will we will tag that link in the show notes. Oh, thank you so much. Okay, cool. Yeah, but like I'm around. I want to connect with any and everybody. Um, I think it's so important that we have community, not only as students, um, but are able to learn from one another, other midwives. I yeah. So hey, y'all, find me. Let's talk. Yes. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today, Courtney. We will follow, check the show notes for her um, information and how to find her, donate to her journey and donate to the documentary. That sounds amazing. We would love to host that on the Referee Wisdom Collective. Thank you so much for spending your morning with me. This was so fun. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Bye. Bye.